Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. We must be over the rainbow. That is the absolute, I think, perfect line uh, for our transition into today's sermon. Um, The Wizard of Oz is this this great, fantastical film, this iconic film about Dorothy and and her little dog, too, right? You know, um, it's just this uh, beautiful film of this this girl and her dog who are whirlwinded out of uh, Kansas into this magical world where there's munchkins, and they go into song whenever they want. And there's, there's lions uh, that can talk, and there's tin men that can walk, and there's straw men that can fight wicked witches from the West who has an army of monkeys that can fly at her beckon. And it's, we're not in Kansas anymore. Now, some of you uh, may have been wondering as we've been going through the book of Revelation, this feels a little tame. I kind of expected more out of Revelation. Uh, well, we're not in Kansas anymore. Uh, we are just now about to enter into the magical, into the wonderful, into the mystical, and soon to be the frightening. Uh, we will have dragons. We will have bowls of wrath. We'll have the four horses of the apocalypse. We'll have raptures, maybe. Um, We'll go there. We'll get there. But John is, is, is bringing us into the throne room, and he's going to try to describe to us God. And the key word there is try. He's going to try to tell us something about God, because even as he says it, he's like, he's like this. And here's an image of what he's like, but it's better than that. I can't, I can't describe it exactly like that, because if I looked at God, I would fall down dead. And it reminds me of this, this great sermon uh, by a guy named Dr. S.M. Lockridge. Have you heard of him? Uh, he has this great sermon called My King that is just fantastic. It encourages your soul. You should look it up. We'll put it on Facebook tomorrow. Um, it just goes, My King. And it's in his, his, his words, I can't do it justice, and in his cadence, but he, he goes on for like an hour describing God and saying, My King, he's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? And he pauses and he goes on. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. And then he goes, ah, I wish I could describe him to you. And he's been describing him for about an hour. (laughs) And and the whole congregation cracks up laughing. (laughs) And he's like, but I wish I could describe him to you. But he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. And he goes on describing him some more. (laughs) That's what we're about to walk into with John trying to describe God to us and saying, let me tell you about who he is, but it's going to be impossible. And so the intent of this passage, the goal of this passage is for us to walk into the throne room and walk away wide-eyed and mystified and saying, this is indescribable. I don't know what I just saw, but all I know is we're not in Kansas anymore. Please stand for the reading of God's word. We'll be in Revelation 4. Revelation 4, verses 1 through 11. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. 
And the first voice which I heard speaking to me was like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne and he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind, the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with a face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and uh, to actually see what you're doing here, to see what your, your scripture is actually trying to impress upon us. And we are grateful for uh, the Gideons to give us this word and just for the preached word and for even just the reading of the word. Lord, let just the reading of that word that uh, hit our ears and into our souls. May it not just uh, dribble down our backs. May we actually hear it and be sponges to, to soak it in. Lord, be with us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're just joining us here this morning for the first time, here's where we're at. Uh, we, are, we are going through the book of Revelation. It's written by a guy named John who was a disciple of Jesus. And when he was with Jesus, he was a teenager. He was a teenager following Jesus around. And a lot of stuff has happened since then. All right, that, that's your big summary. Uh, John, John is yada, yada, yada. John is now 80 years old, uh, and he's refused to worship Caesar as God. And so because he refuses to worship Caesar as God, uh, they, they put him on this island, Patmos, uh, as punishment for it, as a prison for him. And it's on this island that he's, God is speaking to him. Jesus is speaking to him and saying, write what I, I tell you to write and write what you see. And so John is, is seen uh, before we, we walk, we've walked through the, the seven lampstands or the seven churches. And now we've come to this, this, this spot here, uh, and he now sees this door standing open in heaven. Um, now, how many of you guys wear glasses? Yeah? 
lots of you. Um, what, what did it feel like for the first time that you put on glasses? That feel good? That feel like, ah, oh. <laughs> like all of the pain in the world is now just, is now just melting away. You actually are able to see because before you're, you, you've, you were able to see the world, but frustratingly so. You saw it all and it was all blurry and strained and you put the glasses on and now you're seeing reality. Now, not everyone here wears glasses, but everyone here wears glasses, if you know what I mean. Um, every one of us has been born into a family, into a childhood, into a school, um, or into a culture that has given you some type of glasses, more like sunglasses, and that they, they've given you a shade to see the world through, a, a tint, uh, a slant or a color to see the world through. And so um, our relationships that we have, um, the books we read, the films we see, uh, whether we watch Fox News or CNN, you know, the, the, the hurts that we've gone through and the joys that we've experienced, they've all given us glasses to see the world through, and they shape what we see and how we interpret reality. And so the question becomes, is, is my perception of reality accurate? Do, does my frame of reference actually square with the way things are? Or do my glasses distort reality? Do they focus it or do they distort it? Uh, and the book of Revelation could be said to have adopted uh, the, the Transformers theology. Do you remember this? Uh, they've made movies of this now. Uh, but the Transformers had this great cartoon uh, that I grew up watching. So far, I've referenced a, a kid's movie and now a cartoon, okay? <laughs> um, but they, they, the slogan of the Transformers uh, was, was, more than meets the eye. It's that little jingle, and you're going to walk away with that. That's the only thing you walk away with the sermon, is more than meets the eye. It's a, it's a jingle that my family has adopted. Um, and so whenever something embarrassing happens, we say Thompsons are more than meets the eye. We're not as bad as we look. <laughs> we, we promise we're better than that, maybe, maybe worse. Um, you just don't know. Uh, but the book of Revelation says, things are not as they seem. And that's the foundational conviction of apocalyptic literature, that there is more to reality than what our senses can actually observe, that there's something going on behind the scenes. And so here, it's, it's here on, on earth, uh, on, on this island of Patmos, not, not up in heaven, that John actually sees this doorway in heaven. And this is something that, that became um, uh, real to me this week, that I hadn't actually thought of as I've gone through this passage multiple times. Um, for John, he sees heaven as not this place that's far away up there. He doesn't see this door way up in heaven for John, heaven is this, this doorway right on the island of Patmos that he, he's able to see a, a distinction between space and time, between what he sees here and this, this heavenly room that's right there, that he can walk right into heaven and then look at Patmos right there. This, this, this island in the Mediterranean where they would ship criminals and, 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 and uh, political troublemakers and that they, they were sent there to, to rot and to bleach. And he's sitting on this island and he says, I'm seeing, behold, there's this there's doorway to heaven right here that he's able to walk into. Um, that, was, that, that, is, is, that, that to me is, is 
very important to the interpretation of, of all that, that we, we actually see for the rest of this book of, of Revelation. That, that heaven is not something that, that's way out there. It's, it's another dimension of reality that, that's already existing that we don't even know is right there on the other side of, of the door. And so heaven is all around us, is what he's looking at. George Caird said, heaven is part of the universe, but a part which is entered by the opening of the spiritual eye rather than any external, external form of transit. And so you cannot be so heavenly-minded that you're of no earthly good. Because if, if you actually are thinking about heaven, you are of most earthly good because you're actually seeing reality as it is, not as, as, as it appears. And so in verse 2, he says, Behold, a throne. Another way of saying that is look, 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 a throne. Which, if you're sitting in your room, in, in your Patmos, your, 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 your prison, wherever that may be, um, and you're stranded there, and God opens up a doorway in space and time. What is your first thought at this moment? Do I walk through that <laughs> or do you run for the hills? This is the mystical, magical stuff of Revelation. He sees this throne that he could walk right into this room and say, I'm in heaven, I'm on earth. And you could do like the four corners things where you're like, I'm in this state and now I'm in this state. <laughs> he could walk right into heaven there. And I wonder if, some of us may be thinking, if, if I were to actually walk into heaven and peer in and I see a control room to the universe, I wonder how many of us are, are, are actually secretly wondering, is anyone actually there? You, 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 we all, I, think, I think we might look into this room and go, hello? Is anyone in charge? Is anyone ruling this world? I mean, does it ever feel like you are on a boat in the middle of the sea and you're, in the, the, uh, the, the, you're on the bottom of the boat and you just feel like you're being tossed back and forth, sloshed back and forth, your head's hitting the ceiling, then the floor, all of your stuff is coming crashing down and that you would walk up to the top of the boat and you look at, like, who's the captain of the ship? Who's at the helm? And you look and you just see the, the wheel spinning endlessly. Is that what we, we, we might expect? Is anyone in charge? Is anyone at the helm? Does anyone actually have control on this universe? Because my life feels like chaos. My life feels so, so stressful. And that's just my life. And then I look outside of things and I see, I see school shootings. And I see bombings in Austin. And I see the church divide along political lines. And we might wonder, is anyone at the helm? Is there anyone in charge? And John says, behold, look, a throne. Not way up there, not away from us, but right here. And for John, that must have been such a comforting balm to his soul. Because in his day, Rome was on the move, right? In 57 AD, Emperor Nero began feeding Christians to lions, inventing ways to kill Christians. Peter and Paul were crucified. The man he followed as a teenager was crucified. By the time John is 80, in, in 95 AD, Emperor Domitian killed more than 40,000 Christians. 
And you have to think, now that he is a year later in 96 AD, exiled on this island of Patmos to rot and to bleach, and you would think he would wonder, is anyone at the helm? Or is that wheel spinning endlessly? And so how beautiful would it have been to see a door to heaven, and he comes in, and there is one seated on it. The book of Revelation wages war against this reductionism that, that, that chokes out the awe that, that we all know and we want and need. That there is something more going on than what, than what we can just observe in the physical realm, in the, in the societal realm, in the economical realm. You know, it, there is more than meets the eye. Because it was God who allowed John to be put on the island there in the first place. And yet, all things work together for his good. And this is why I think I love scary movies. Is because, yes, the scary movies are scary. That's what they are intended to do. But they seem to get the reality that there is something behind the physical realm better than anyone else. Now, for them, it's always demons and evil spirits. But here on the island of Patmos, behind the physical realm is not a demon or a spirit. It's the throne room of God. The creator of the universe is right there next to John. if we would just put spiritual glasses, Revelation 4 glasses on to see it. And so John has now not yet told us who's seated on the throne, but we, we know it's going to be the Father. He, John's trying to describe him to us. And as we said, it's going to be hard to do, but he's going to attempt. And so in verse 3, he says, and, and he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. Uh, that, that, he's trying to describe this, this being on this throne, and he says, it looks like these beautiful stones that I've seen before, these translucent stones that reveal and yet conceal. And so uh, it, I don't know what he was, but he was beautiful and he was majestic. And he's not sure how to describe it, so he says, it's, it's like, it's the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. Then there's this rainbow around the throne, and, and while the rainbow is cast, just think of the, 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 the overarching picture. You have, you have thunder, and you have lightning going on. You have, you have burning torches all around it. You have these four crazy creatures with eyes all over swirling and swarming around the throne. And you have these 24 kings or elders or with crowns on sitting around the throne. And it seems like there's all this chanting going on. And you might have been thinking, if that was you that walked into this, and you saw your bedroom right there, and you thought is this doorway closing? Can I get out of here? <laughs> like that might have been a frightening scene to walk into. There's more than meets the eye. That lightning and thunder is a very common trait of stepping into the presence of God. And so when Adam and Eve sinned and it says that God came walking in the cool of the day, that's one translation. Another translation is that God came walking in the storm of the day. And so there is, there's always that when God's presence of awness and majesty come, that there is this lightning and thunder. And then when, when Moses meets God on Mount Sinai, uh, there's this picture of the lightning flashing and the thunder roaring. And there's this excruciating loud trumpet sound bursting. And the mountain is filled with smoke and it quakes and it declares how awesome and how mighty our Father is. And so this is not the Wizard of Oz where you go and you find out there actually isn't anyone there. It, that, that's a very cynical, it's a very cynical movie uh, of that there is no wizard, that no one's at the helm. But John steps right into heaven, right here on earth, and he sees so, not just someone on the throne, but something awesome and almost terrifyingly so. And you would think, should I be here? But there's a rainbow over the throne. 
And that rainbow says, stay a little bit longer. That rainbow communicates God's promise not to destroy the earth with a flood. That rainbow communicates God's mercy and faithfulness so that the the Holy One accepts the unholy. And so God's rainbow is saying, don't run, John. He invites you to stay, look a little longer. Because even though the holiness and the majesty is here, grace is going to shine through. But in spite of that rainbow, is anyone worried about those four creatures swirling the throne? I'd be a little worried about those four creatures. Did you hear what they have on them? Eyes everywhere. They have eyes everywhere, all around and even within them. They have six wings, two to fly, two to cover their face, two to cover their feet, and they are swirling the throne. And John is trying to describe what they are. John doesn't even know what they are. And so any theologian that says they know what they are, they don't know. John doesn't know what they are. He's saying they're like this. It's like a lion, but not a lion. It's like an eagle, but not an eagle. It's like an ox, but not an ox. It's like a man, but not. And he's trying to give us this picture of what this is. Now, because I'm preaching, I get to tell you my interpretation of this. But everyone, whoever interprets it, will say that John is hearkening back on Old Testament liturgy. I mean, imagery. John is looking back at some Old Testament imagery and is applying that here. These four creatures that are, that are kind of creepy, swirling around the throne, that look like bodyguards, looks like Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel 10, where you have the cherubim, the, the, this high order of angels that are, are there, that are almost like the bodyguards of the throne. And the eyes that are all over, they are all seen. That they can see every single thing in history. That they, they see every single thing and they also see every single person. And so that does God see you? At least his bodyguards see you. And while they're seeing every single thing in history and every single thing in creation, their response to saying all of that and to seeing the throne and who is seated on the throne, their response is day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Day and night. And so do you know what that means for us? It means that we are... We are, when we go to worship like we're here today, when you, when you come into a worship service, you are walking into a service that's already in progress. The, the angels have been worshiping day and night, and we're just joining in with them. That the, the 24 elders have been worshiping day and night, and then we're just joining in on this worship service. So if you were late today, it's okay, we all were. We've all been late to the worship service because it's going on. It doesn't begin with us and it will not end with us. When we say go, the worship service does not end. And so when we gather together, we go into a worship service that has been going on for a long, long, long time. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy. I mean, altogether different, altogether pure is the Lord God Almighty. And I think that word almighty, it's just, it, it rolls off the tongue and we say it so fast that I think we can miss the gravity of it. It's one of John's favorite words, pantakratos. And he's, he's, he is saying that they have, that, that God, the man on the throne has all, all, all might. We just say he's almighty, meaning he has all strength and all power. And if that's true, 
then verse 11 has to be true. So our God is not a victim of circumstance, that you have created all things and by your will, you've created them and they have their being. And so that every single thing, including Rome, including Caesars, including the devil himself, has its being because the one who's sitting on the throne allows it. And so that evil can strut itself across the stage of history only as long as the Ancient of Days lets it be. This is huge. What this means is that the wheel of history isn't spinning out of control. In fact, we have someone at the helm, and they're they're not nervously pacing back and forth trying to figure out what to do. No, he is sitting on the throne, meaning signifying he's 100 percent in charge. He's sitting on the throne. The father sits on the throne is saying that there's not one random molecule in all earth and space and time that is left to chance. And this is good news for John as we're about to walk into the trials and tribulations for the churches. And it's good news for us, for anyone here who stresses. You know what stress is? It's the feeling of having a lack of control. And if we were just to put on the Revelation 4 glasses and say, oh, I don't have control. (laughs) But there is one who does have control. There isn't the wheel spinning. He's completely in charge of this universe. The throne room, the control room, he is completely in charge of it. But have you noticed the sea of glass? It's kind of... Thing that's just thrown in there that I think it has a, a lot more value and importance. A sea of glass. If you, if you guys ever been to um, been to a lake or to a pond early in the morning or maybe late at night, um, and the, the the wind hasn't disturbed the water yet, the animals haven't jumped in it, kids haven't jumped in it to disturb the water. There's there's no, nothing moving, and so the water is still and it's calm. I mean, it's a peaceful thing if you've ever done that. And then one of you will throw your fishing rod in there and ruin it. But. <laughs> but it's this beautiful stillness and calmness that the water has not been touched. Now, I, I believe because we're talking about the throne room, as we're walking in to see the holy of holies, I believe there, that we are walking in, and it's an image of walking into Solomon's temple. And as you walked into Solomon's temple, there was this, this big basin that you would go and wash your hands in, to cleanse yourself before going into the presence of the Almighty to to worship. And why is it important that it is a sea of glass, that water is so still that it looks like glass, looks like crystal? Because it hasn't been touched in years. Because he has washed you fully, cleansed you wholly, and that there's nothing left for him to do. So you can walk towards the throne, not in fear and not in shame, but in confidence that the, the, the water is still and it hasn't been touched in years. The rainbow is saying, come, look longer, and you can approach the throne. Who goes to the throne? Now here it says 24. 24 out of thousands of years of history. That seems like a little bit of a small number. (laughs) 
I don't know if we made it, if, we, if it's only 24. I don't know if anyone us is good. Um, I don't believe that's what it is. Some people, some want to question, is it because they're elders? Is it 24 men? No, no. I think almost all scholars agree that this word 24 is a picture of the 12 Old Testament tribes and the 12 apostles. And so it's a picture of the old and the new, those that looked towards Christ and those that looked back at Christ. That all of creation, all of those who trusted in him and all of those who who trusted backwards towards him, all of them are at the throne and they are throwing down their crowns at him and they are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. All men, all women, all children. Last week, Kristen and I got the... um, joy of and the freedom to to go to the MLK 50 conference and there's this great beautiful conference up in Memphis it was uh, Martin Luther King Jr's 50th anniversary of being shot and murdered I mean it, it was a tragedy but like most martyrs the their death didn't stop their message it made it louder it made it more prominent and speak louder. And, and the, the resounding refrain from the conference and from the man himself, Martin Luther King, one of his resounding refrains is that of the Imago Dei, the, the image of God, that every man has been imprinted with the Imago Dei, every woman, every child has been imprinted with the Imago Dei so that every single person is carrying dignity and beauty and value. John Perkins, who was a contemporary of, of, of Martin Luther King, was there, and he, he, he would argue that you don't give anyone dignity because God has already given it to them. You can affirm their dignity, but they, they have it. They have the, the value and, 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 the, and the, the mark of God on them. And so let me say this. No, it's not only men around the throne. No, it's not only white Americans around the throne. I think we, we need to see that this, this throne picture is going to be full of a very diverse group. We're going to have our Ugandan brothers and sisters around the throne. We're going to have our Mexican brothers and sisters around the throne. Revelation 7 says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number from every tribe and every nation and every peoples and languages. And so he's saying every nation is going to be represented around that throne. And so you don't even lose your, your nationality when you get to heaven. We just appreciate it now. And then every language. So you don't even lose your languages in heaven. We just now understand it, just like an axe. People are speaking in their native tongues, but now we understand it. And we appreciate the difference. And that's heaven. Why not on earth? As Jesus prayed for, as it is in heaven, so on earth. And so when we looked at this, we're seeing that God is bringing people. He is on the move. He's bringing people from New Delhi to Taiwan, to Cairo, to Baghdad, to Montreal, to Waco. Uh, Bringing them all to his throne. From from China Spring to Lorena. From Midway to East Waco. He's saying, these people, I, I see infinite value and worth in them. And I love them. I'm coming for them. I will die for them. And so, Mary Mitchell, are you here? God sees infinite value and worth in you. You're beautiful, and you'll be worshiping at the, at the throne. Ryan Senzig, are you here? Yes, you will be at the throne worshiping with him. And God says, I invite you to the throne. Jude Ilizad, are you here? You will be at the throne 
We will be there worshiping him, bowing down, falling at our knees. Evelyn, we will be at the throne together, worshiping, saying, holy, holy, holy. And so God is gathering people from all groups and tribes and nations all together to fall out at the throne. And no wonder these people are singing day and night, holy, holy, holy. Because when you see the chaos that many of us see, and you see the shame that many of us feel, and you can say, you know what? You cannot win because my king has already won. And so if you feel like your life is, is out of control and spinning, and if you feel like you're about to have a nervous breakdown, you feel so much stress, look to Revelation 4 and the one who's seated on the throne. If you feel like there is no way he would accept me to even approach his throne because of my past, Look at Revelation 4 and the one who's, who's orchestrated all things together for his good and all the people invited to his throne room and come and then look at the rainbow around the throne that says you can come amidst the holiness I'm giving you grace and then look at, at the sea of glass that we get to meet him. Say so you've been washed and you've been cleansed. And so for you who struggle with stress, with restlessness, look to the throne and shout to the chaos. Shout to the chaos and to the shame that wants to shout that you're not worthy. Shout to it, you cannot win. You cannot win. You cannot win because Christ has won. It's done. He's seated on his throne. Let's pray.